to start off, it comes from the philosophy of uh, email marketing. When uh, me and my team look at emails, we look at emails not really as a marketing piece, but almost like an employee in your business. Imagine emails are a salesperson who's working for you constantly, who's always on point, who's always sending the right message at the right time to the right people. And they're what's making you more money. And you only have to pay them once <laughs> to uh, get set up and then they work for you forever. We're on a mission. We're going to find and uncover the smartest, most successful entrepreneurs on the planet. Explore their highs, their lows, and how they ultimately mastered the game. I'm Martin Cook, and I'm excited to welcome you to the Smarter Destiny podcast. I'm grateful for you and your time. Now let's level up together. Ladies and gentlemen, a warm welcome to you. Welcome back to another Smarter Destiny podcast, where this time we have the awesome Ryan Mulvihill um, in our presence. Uh, Ryan is the uh, founder of Email All-Stars, a gold, master gold partner of Clavio. Um, they, they basically provide email services and a lot more and they've driven over 35 million dollars in tracked revenue from email. So they definitely know what they're talking about. They've worked with over 300 clients and with a real diverse uh, background in what those um, in what those businesses sell, and they really do specialise um, in e-commerce, which is why, of course, it's super relevant to us. So, um, aside from growing brands from naught dollars in email revenue all the way through to 150k a month just in email revenue, uh, Ryan knows a thing or two about uh, making more money happen from email and that might be as well because now they are in the inner circles of Clavio and get all of the the juicy good stuff so I'm very very excited um for this podcast and so without further ado let's welcome Ryan to the stage how's it going Ryan very good thank you for that amazing intro I was really looking forward to that but after listening to a few of your other podcasts so yeah I'm really excited for this <laughs> so we hang up now you've got you've got the intro you're like boom that's that's cool yeah yeah so um whereabouts are you in the world because I mean those of you that are only listening to the audio you don't get the the stunning visual um uh, scenes that we've got right now where Ryan kind of looks like he's in a sort of like eclectic i don't know if that's how you pronounce it it's not um I think sort of bohemian, tri maybe. <laughs> bohemian tribal styled wood carving kind of backdrop and it looks awesome um can you shatter that illusion for me yes uh not too much to shatter actually i'm in uh i'm in a lovely villa here in the middle of uh sao paulo brazil actually nice. uh so we we have this airbnb it's actually a very it's a huge house i live with uh, four other entrepreneurs and um we managed to negotiate a pretty great deal for uh, a house with a pool table a jacuzzi uh, a big pool and a place where we could host parties once in a while here in brazil so yeah we really we lucked out with this uh this amazing airbnb and uh i'm happy to be here for uh, the quarantine and uh beyond Oh, it sounds um, it sounds good. That does sound really, really good, actually. And where where are you from originally? So I'm actually from uh, Toronto, uh, Canada. Uh, but I left uh, I left Toronto about five years ago and started my digital nomad uh, journey. So it's been uh, quite the ride, and uh, I don't plan on going back to live in Canada. The uh, other parts of the world have treated me too well. <laughs> but the weather's pretty similar, right? 
uh in toronto compared to brazil oh no, <laughs> definitely not <laughs> so, oh man that was that was one of the reasons i left toronto was just one winter too many and i decided no no more no more no gracias, no gracias. Yeah. okay so um so the way as as you know because you're you're a good guest and you've you've done a little bit of um research but um as you know the way we typically kick these podcast off as we go back to a point um, in your history, a logical starting point for your entrepreneurial journey um, that really, you know, maybe there's a bit of struggle, maybe there's a bit of drama, maybe there's something um, juicy for our audience. But um, if you have a time in mind, please, could you paint a word picture for us? Tell us where you are and when you are. Okay, so there I am. Probably the uh, probably one of the biggest turning points for me was when I was uh, down to my last thousand Canadian dollars in Thailand when I was uh, I was already in debt. When I say last thousand dollars, I mean last thousand dollars in debt, where I was running out of a piece of plastic I could put into an ATM to get money out because I'd flown down to Thailand uh, to you know sort of as the digital nomad mecca, planning to start my uh, start my journey of uh, figuring out how to make money online. And I'd gone there. I'd launched an ebook that did all right, but. Uh, wasn't enough to live down there. And I was down to my last few dollars trying to figure out how I was going to start earning money. That was about five years ago. So um, yeah, of course, before that, the journey is uh, pretty similar to most other people. You know, you read the four hour work week, get all hyped and excited about starting uh, earning money online. You save up not enough money, but just enough to buy that plane ticket and maybe uh, maybe two or three months of living expenses, fly down to Thailand. And uh yeah, the first few months in Thailand, lots of fun, but uh, then I was running very low on money and I didn't have any income coming in. So that was that was probably the biggest turning point in my journey. So, so you, you've um, you've gone right. Um, you're confused at this point. So it's it's two to three months into your trip to Thailand, and you're like, Tim, Tim Ferris, what, what what's going on, man? Like, <laughs> like you know, I'm here. I've done everything you've said, but I'm down to my last one yeah. um, k. Um, uh, of allowance on my credit card. Um, what did you do next? Yeah, it was. Um, so I just I had to make a choice. It was. Um, it was either I. I mean, at that point, I mean, I wasn't. Uh, uh, I wasn't too young. I was around um, twenty four at the time. So it would be very embarrassing to uh, ask my parents and beg my parents for a plane to get back home. <laughs> and uh, I, I decided, like. You know, I could hype myself up on all these stories about entrepreneurs all, all doing it. But what I really needed to do was sit down, like learn a craft that I could actually sell and put a ton of action into it if I was going to actually uh, survive out there in Thailand. I mean, when I say survive, I don't mean I was going to starve on the streets, but uh, Thailand is not a very nice place to be completely broke. It's not the worst place, but not the best place. So that's when I started diving into copywriting and really trying to learn the craft, spending like 10 hours a day just studying copywriting to try and earn my first few dollars online. And uh, that's, uh, that's what got me into it. So, um, so the, how did you spend that last $1,000? It was, uh, so I think that last $1,000, that was like, that was more of the wake up call where it's like, you, you are going to be out of money very, very soon. And you need to start taking some last, uh, you need to start taking some action. So that's, uh, that's when I spent uh, a month just dwindling down my last few bits of money, <laughs> uh, learning copywriting and trying to reach out and get my first few clients. And uh, then I started to, I started to land a few copywriting jobs that I wasn't quite prepared for, but uh, 
that started giving me a little bit of momentum. I started to make a little bit of money and even out the money I was losing and making. So I wasn't, uh, I wasn't going to go broke, but, uh, yeah, it was just, it was a huge journey of just trying to get more clients and trying to get better at copywriting, trying out different kinds of copywriting until I actually finally settled on email marketing, because that was, that was one of the copy, that was the type of copywriting that I enjoyed the most and that I could conceptualize the most and provide the most value with. So that's how I got into it. And so, so you, you've now um, become a specialist uh, email copywriter. Um, where does that uh, lead you to? You've, you've had a number of clients. Where does that lead you to next? Yeah, so that, uh, I believe it led me to more specialization where, for example, once you start as uh, copywriting, there's, there's like a hundred different types of copy that you can really specialize in. But once you start niching down to just email copywriting, and then even from that, just niching down to e-commerce email copywriting, then you start to realize that there, there's a whole niche of strategy around that that you can really learn and dive into. Everything from how to write uh, the sales letters that convert people from e-commerce clients after they sign up for just a little 10% off coupon, how to really get them into the story of a store and get them invested in it to uh, the technical side on the different kinds of flows that different sorts of stores will need, uh, the kind of strange flows that maybe people haven't really heard about or haven't really tried for their stores that end up generating a ton of revenue and solving problems in their business that uh, some store owners just thought were going to be there forever, like uh, problems with customer service, problems with uh, getting reviews and testimonials for their business. Uh, yeah, once you start to specialize, you realize how many problems you can solve with your niche of marketing. It can't solve everything, of course, but uh, you realize that you can really help people with uh, this specific skill set. Nice. And so um, I definitely want to get into those strange flows uh, a little bit later on. And so, you know, anybody listening to that who's intrigued, we are definitely going to touch upon that um, later on. Um, but at this point, is this, um, are you operating under email all stars? at this point or is it more freelance? Yes, uh, now we are operating under email all-stars. We have a team uh, of around uh, 18 people that work with us now. Everything from graphic designers to email strategists to project managers. Uh, so we definitely we've definitely worked to build a really big team around just uh, solving and helping people with these email marketing projects. I'm not yeah. sure if you've seen our uh, team photo on our site. It's uh, pretty funny actually. Yeah, um, might have to check um, that one out. Who we are? Oh wow, you've got sort of—it's almost like uh, bobbleheads um, team photos. Yeah, <laughs> turned everyone to bobbleheads. <laughs> yeah. I like that. That's really cool. Um, and so, you're—are you still in Thailand at this at this point? It's obviously there must be a story between uh, moving from Thailand uh, to Brazil. Um, at what point did uh, email all stars uh, get on the road, as it were? Yeah, so it was it was a long journey. Uh, I would say to anyone out there who, if you're still in the the process of starting a business and potentially starting an agency, I will say that the uh, Asia time zones are the worst area to start an agency from. It's just difficult to do any kind of calls. It's a very difficult thing. But I started. I spent about uh, a year and a half living in different parts of Southeast Asia, from Thailand to Vietnam to the Philippines. And then I started to slowly move my way across the world, where after that, I lived in a few places in Europe, like Croatia and Budapest. And then I actually moved over from one of my um, 
one of my mentors, uh, this guy, Tommy Joyner, convinced me to come and live in Medellin, Colombia. And then once I discovered the Latin American culture, I, uh, I was hooked. It was just, uh, was just such an amazing type of people. It was the right kind of culture for me. And then I briefly tried out Europe again with Ukraine and, uh, um, Ukraine and Portugal. And then I moved back. I took a bit of a chance and a gamble and tried out Brazil. And I think after living in so many different places, I can say that uh, Brazil is one of the best places for me. And along the way, <laughs> moving time zones, I learned how to uh, orchestrate a, a team, a huge team of remote workers and how to manage clients in different time zones and really figured out processes to streamline uh, a project from someone having no emails to getting them an extra $150,000 from emails. So. Yeah, it was a long journey. Sorry if I gave you a little too much. No, no, no. There. That's that's fantastic. And um, you know, um, Four Hour Workweek was one of the one one of the um, earliest books I think that changed my own um, trajectory. And the fact that you you've you've lived that lifestyle, you know, running the business from from a laptop remotely around the world um, is is and, and you know lived is um, quite impressive. I'm, I'm not surprised Ukraine wasn't the, the area that you um, settled down with. Port <laughs> Portu Portugal is beautiful. One of my close friends is, um, is Portuguese. And, um, but yeah, he, he talks about Brazil because obviously it's the same language. And, and, and uh, he talks about Brazil as being a sort of slightly more easygoing, relaxed, um, more up for it uh, uh, version of, of Portugal, <laughs> I guess, yeah. is is uh, the way that uh, I'm going to put it for this podcast. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and it, in a good way, yeah. in an entirely good way. So um, at any point, and this is a very, very specific question. It's as if I've had uh, prior information, but at any point, um, did you um ever you know travel um to any deserts and and um experience any kind of dangerous um experiences there yeah i've actually <laughs> uh so one of the one of my favorite things to do uh is uh when i take trips is to go on motorcycle adventures in different parts of the world and when i say motorcycle adventures i don't mean on the roads i usually mean big 250 cc dirt bikes and traveling into remote areas um, and, uh, yeah, I've done, uh, I've done the North of Thailand quite a few times, uh, all around the, uh, golden triangle. I haven't been like inside the golden triangle, but in the North of Thailand in these dirt trails and, um, in Colombia for uh, new years, two years ago, I was actually in the Tadakoa desert in Colombia where, uh, it's this huge desert expanse. Not many people know about it. It's absolutely gorgeous. And, uh, me and my friends decided to go out there on New Year's Eve to have a different experience than uh, most people. No parties on New Year's. We wanted to actually go and be in the middle of the desert and think about uh, our lives and our futures and things like that. And uh, at one point, I took a walk off by myself. And it's late at night in the desert. All you can see, uh, you can only see from the uh, like the starlight around you. And I, I'm sitting off by myself. My friends are maybe a 10 minute walk away from me. I see these two glowing eyes staring at me from the darkness. Uh, and to give you a little bit of a backstory, uh, one of my friends, Colombian girlfriends, had told me to watch out for pumas in the desert, which when you think of a puma, I think of a, a clothing brand, not a big cat that could potentially really mess me up. <laughs> so I see these, these two glowing eyes staring at me in the desert. And i had actually bought a huge hunting knife before, just in case I were to run into any, uh, any trouble in the desert with animals and things like that. But um, yeah, I, I saw these eyes staring at me and I 
I was a little afraid I was about to run, but then I saw a few more eyes. And I was uh, I was a little bit freaked out, and then I I realized I thought back to my Discovery Channel days and thought, oh, I don't think pumas travel in packs. And then I get up and get a little closer, and in this dark kind of alcove, I I see twenty eyes light up at me, and I realize it's a flock of goats that have hidden <laughs> inside this cove in the dark. They're all huddled together trying to sleep, and uh, yeah, so it didn't turn out to be a puma, but uh, that's just one of the uh, adventures I've had in, uh, non-business related. And yeah, nice. so <laughs> that's a funny little story there. Nice. Yeah. So, um, let's, let's transition into, uh, email all stars. Let's, let's, um, let's transition into, um, a little bit more, uh, recent. So obviously, um, any business takes a little bit of time to find its feet, to, to, to build, to get really mm-hmm. good, to become experts. But, Right now, I mean, you know, j- just from your website um, and, you know, in our discussion off air, uh, being a Clavio master, gold partner, um, is not insignificant. Um, you know, j- driving uh, more than $35 million in trackable email revenue um, across um, 300 uh, different clients. But, you know, those are really, really um, impressive numbers. And, and actually, I think one thing that I missed uh, from the introduction you said that you were the um, the biggest managed client agency um, for the whole of Clavio. Have I said that right? Yeah. So basically, Clavio has two sides to its um, its agency partners. It has one side that's the people who refer people to Clavio, which uh, we aren't close to the biggest on there. Mostly because almost all of our clients already have some sort of email marketing set up when they come to us. But when it comes to clients that actually use Clavio on an active basis and we manage their Clavio accounts for them, we're the biggest agency when it comes to that. We have the most people who are using Clavio. I believe um, at any one time we have potentially between 50 and 100 active Clavio projects open uh, with email all stars. And more than that, that we manage on a much less frequent basis, but just maintain their accounts for them. So, yeah, we have a lot of clients on Clavio. And so the team photo, the bobble, the the legendary bobblehead team photo. There's not hundreds of yeah. people um, on that team photo, and, and yet you have hundreds of clients. How do you um, efficiently manage um, so many clients um, while still providing a high um, level of service? Yeah, so it really comes down to process, and uh, that's something that, as I was uh, living in all these different parts of the world. Um, and slowly growing my team, I realized that if I really wanted to serve these clients well, then you have to have a very streamlined process for how you how you bring them on, how you learn about their business, and how you actually execute these email marketing programs for them. So uh, I would say when it comes to managing projects, we just have a really incredible team where one project manager can manage a lot of clients, but uh, and our team can manage a lot of clients at one time while still being very efficient with it because we just know how to move people from the different phases of first getting their questionnaire. So we learn about their business, about the main bullet points to write about, including their emails, uh, have our email strategist dive into their actual sales process, develop the email strategy for them, and then move them through a development process to actually create the graphics and the look and the feel of these emails to getting them set up in their business. To then then having a review call, usually once every month, to plan out their strategy for the next month. And it's, in my opinion, email marketing is not something that you plan out a year in advance. It's something where you look at it on a monthly basis and say, 
what are the holidays coming up? What launches are coming up? What's changed in your business? What sort of issues are you facing that we can potentially uh, morph our next month's email strategies to help uh, solve for you? So yeah, it's it all comes down to just a really streamlined process for developing great work. Nice. And what what do your um, what sort of price do your um, packages and services um, uh, span? Yeah. So we are um, uh, people charge different prices for email marketing. We're we're more on the fixed price side, uh, and depending on when you listen to this podcast, our, our prices may change. Uh, but usually, we charge around two hundred and fifty dollars per email to give you an idea. But that includes all the setup fees, all of the implementation, all the strategy behind it. So we're more of a a package deal. Like when we come to a client, we say, all right, potentially for the first package, you'll need maybe uh, 10 emails in these very specific flows to bring you the most revenue. Then on a monthly basis, potentially we'll develop uh, maybe four new emails split between campaigns and the automated flows to try and bring you more and more revenue and maximize your revenue every month. So that's, that just gives you a range on what we charge. So, um, so initially when setting up the flows, each one of the emails in that flow, um, is at that price point, but, um, further down the line, those flows are now automated. Now the, um, the monthly spend is going towards, uh, like promos and, uh, email blasts and so on. Yeah. And, uh, for example, some clients come to us and they just need that big email market marketing machine set up one time to just work for work for their business for the next six months. And, uh, Usually, uh, when clients come to us, their email marketing packages range from maybe $2,000 to $5,000, depending on how big they are. Uh, but we really focus on trying to set up, give them the flows and the emails that are going to bring them the most money in an automated way, so that if they then want to go and take it over themselves, they can. But most of our clients stay with us because they just like that constant strategy and constant improvements on a monthly basis. So yeah, it can range. It can range both ways from managed clients who really want us to continue working with their Clavio accounts uh, on a monthly basis, to big brands that just say, "Hey, our email marketing is not is non-existent right now. Please give us the flows and the strategy so that we can have this set up and making money for us." Nice. And so um, early, earlier on, we touched upon some strange flows um, that make money. Can you talk a little bit about? Um, uh, you know, everybody's everybody's heard of uh, the cliche flows, right? And we don't want yeah. to we don't want to um, talk about those. They've been done to death. But some of the sort of slightly, like you said, stranger flows that um, that you believe e-commerce brands, uh, a lot of e-commerce brands are missing, um, uh, you know, missing from their campaigns. Yeah, I'm actually so usually when we we go through um, when we start onboarding a client, we look into uh, we look at their business and we look at what kind of flows will actually uh, help out their sales process. I'm actually pulling up one of our internal documents for review just so I can give you a few a few interesting ideas. So uh, it, to start off, it comes from the philosophy of uh, email marketing, where when uh, me and my team look at emails, we, we look at emails not really as a marketing piece, but almost like an employee in your business. Imagine emails are a salesperson who's working for you constantly who's always on point, who's always sending the right message at the right time to the right people. And they're, they're what's making you more money. And you only have to pay them once <laughs> to uh, get set up, and then they work for you forever. So with that kind of philosophy, then you can look at email marketing a little bit differently, where, for example, um, let's, say, uh, let's say someone's come to you and uh, 
they've signed up on your email list or they've uh, they've shown some interest, they've downloaded lead magnet and then they've they've engaged with your emails, they've seen a lot of your content, but then after after maybe a week or two, then they just drop off. We can implement something like a Hail Mary flow, which is a last ditch effort, trying to hit them with really hard copy, a really aggressive offer to try and capture that person that you would have lost anyways. You've already paid money to get this person. Why not capture them? So we create uh, an email flow specifically to capture those people who uh, are on the edge of dropping off entirely. There's other email flows like a, this is a really amazing flow that almost no one implements that I try and recommend everyone to do. It's a, an automated way to get uh, video reviews and testimonials for your business with emails. It's a very simple process. You just set up an email to go out maybe around two weeks after someone's bought and say, hey, you know, I hope you're loving uh, your product. If you are, I would love to give you a $50 Amazon gift card if you would record just a short one minute video of you with the product talking about how much you love it. And just uh, just send that simple ask is just such a small thing you can do. And then all of a sudden you have all these video assets that are being sent to you on a regular basis for, for a lot of our clients. It just really makes a big difference for them. Um, let's see. Another one is, um, one that not many people set up is an expected purchase flow that actually uses Clavio's AI to detect when someone's likely to buy again and send them, sends them messages to get them to, uh, purchase more products and shows them a reintroduction to your store. Maybe they bought three months ago. They haven't heard from you reintroduce them, get them more excited to buy from you instead of just saying, Hey, check out these products, say, hey, allow me to welcome you back to my store and show you some of the new things we have to offer. So it's um, so that's kind of the philosophy that I come at uh, helping out these stores with, where I don't just look at how can I get email set up for them. I, I want to think, how can I get this? How can I create this little robotic automated salesperson that I can put in your business that's just going to continue to work really hard for you every single day and help your business grow? And that's that's the philosophy I look at it as. Nice. And um, what do you see time and time again, like the mistakes? So let's talk about the, um, the, the ugly stuff, the, the mistakes that you see time and time again with e-commerce businesses in relation to their email marketing. Yeah, probably, probably the biggest mistake I see is a lot of e-commerce stores, they want to get their email marketing set up and they just create a bunch of templated emails around their business. And they, what you really have to do and what we do when we bring on new clients is we take them through uh, a new client questionnaire. And basically the whole point of this questionnaire is to learn the key copywriting bullet points that we can use to talk about this business. Imagine every email, like a very mini sales page that you can use to convince someone to take action. So these clients, they're making a mistake of just sending these templated emails saying, hey, you forgot something in your cart, come back to it here. Like, will that make some money? Like, yeah, it may make some money. If you took an extra 30 minutes to just develop a message around why people should buy for you, from you, put in some of those copywriting bullet points like your, uh, your return policy, showing them reviews of other customers, uh, other happy people have left, um, telling them some of the main reasons why people should buy for you or what pains in their lives could be solved by your products. If you just take a little bit of extra time to think about those reasons why someone should buy, and implement just a few of those reasons into emails, they will work so much better than these templated ones that say, you forgot something in your cart, or hey, look at this, or 
here's our 10% off coupon. Just try and get the soul of your business into these more. And they will work like magic. What about quickest wins? Um, so, so some of the the underutilized opportunities um, that that, that you, you you find yourself screaming at your at your screen, going like, "Why? Why haven't you set this up? Oh my goodness!" <laughs> yeah, it's uh, so it comes down like there. There's the core five flows when it comes to email marketing, and those are the uh, the opt-in nurture flow. I would say easiest win is the opt-in nurture flow, but almost everyone has that. But uh, this is like if I were to just develop one email for everyone's business, that would make them probably an extra 10%, uh, 10% in revenue every month. It would just be a really amazing opt-in nurture email where when someone opts in on your coupon or for your lead magnet or whatever sort of pop-up you have, crafting a beautiful, gorgeous email that shows your best-selling products, gives bullet like well-copywritten bullet points about all the reasons why someone should buy from you really shows people multiple reviews from other people who have bought from you in the past. It talks about your return policy, uh, gives them risk reversals and talks about some of their fears they might have about your products. If you could create one gorgeous, well-copywritten email in this place, this will create the biggest win for anyone who's listening to this. If you've never done email marketing before, you don't know what to do, just create the, the most amazing welcome you can think of with uh, with some of the big bullet points why people should buy from you, the any kind of risk reversal or frequently asked questions that people have, uh, your return policy and guarantees, and a few pictures of happy customers or even text reviews. Just design a really amazing email and implement that, and this will this will work incredibly for you. That's the easiest win I see across the board. Is even if people have their marketing set up, they don't focus on this one email that generates so much revenue and is such an easy win for so many people and what's number two and three number two and three oh that would be that would be the abandoned cart and the browse abandonment like Mm. people people don't look at these the right way in my opinion they uh they look at them as reminders when instead they need to look at them as mini sales pieces to convince someone who was on the edge but wasn't quite sold on your products so sending someone an email saying you forgot something in your cart is that going to work very well like it'll work okay for the people who actually forgot, but what about the large percentage of people who actually had an objection to buy that maybe saw the price and then decided like, oh, you know, it's a little bit too expensive, or I'm not sure if it'll solve this problem. Imagine taking an abandoned cart sequence and breaking that down into emails that dive into the different big reasons why people should buy your product and what sort of pain it solves for them. Like if you were selling a supplement, for example, you could have your uh, your first email could be more of a reminder email. Second email would say, hey, do you suffer from arthritis pain? Like, yeah, you know, this is something that's a major problem with a lot of people. This is what sort of ingredient we put into our supplement to solve this problem for you. And here's a few people that had uh, this problem that was solved by it. And if you have an email sequence that takes different emails and dives into these different big copywriting points, Maybe someone won't be convinced on emails one or two, but email three may talk about exactly the the big issue they were thinking of, and that will convince them to buy. And that's how you create a, an incredible email sequence that's more than just words in your inbox. Nice. And and browse abandonment. Now, um, now I'm aware of what browse abandonment is, and, and, and we use it in our business. But for those that aren't aware, because I believe this is 
fairly specific to Clavio. Um, there's probably other providers that, that do it now, but I, I remember when it came out in Clavio. Could you talk to a little bit um, to those that aren't fully aware what it is, um, what it is and why it's good? Yeah, so browse abandonment is is a really amazing email sequence. It's almost like an abandoned cart email, but just for people who looked at something on your site. They didn't really take action. They just viewed a product on there. So this is something, this is like the um, the philosophy of the automated salesperson that I talked about before, where if you had this incredible salesperson who never had to sleep, <laughs> that you never had to pay commissions to, that just always worked for you, the best job he could do for you is see who looked at something and showed some sort of interest in the product and then followed up with them with more information on that product and also showing them uh, the whole line of products that your store has to offer. This is something that people, they rarely get set up, but it makes a huge difference for them because they're, they're not as uh, hard sales uh, as something like an abandoned cart email, but they're more welcoming people to these products and what you offer and trying to show them that, you know, maybe they weren't interested in this product but maybe there's a whole line of things that they should also check out. So those are those email sequences. It's probably pretty cliche. I mean, most people, when they get emails set up, they get those, and then they get a win back sequence and an upsell sequence. And those are the five core flows uh, as I view them. But um, yeah, if you don't have those flows set up for your business, then you're probably leaking anywhere from you know 10% of your revenue to could be as much as 50% of your revenue if you are a high quality custom branded e-com store. So I love that. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's my view on it. And so, for for those listening that want to learn more about uh, yourself or email all stars, uh, where can they go? Yeah, so they can definitely just go to emailallstars.com. Like uh, that's uh, that's the best place to learn about it. And I would recommend. I mean, if you want to learn more about email marketing, we're we're pretty open with not holding back from people when they come to us for information. So. That's why we offer our free email uh, breakthrough strategy sessions, which is just a call to dive into your business where we actually want to look at your Clavio account and tell you very specifically, these are the areas that you can improve to bring you more money based on your whole sales process. You know, we do that for free for clients. And you know, some people take that as free advice. Some people end up working with us and we're fine either way. So that's the best way to do it. Eventually, I want to launch, you know, uh, an email marketing course and blog post. But for the time being, that's the that's the greatest value we can offer people. Nice. Love that. All right. So, Ryan, at this point in the interview, we mix it up a little bit. We go into the rapid fire question round. I ask the questions quickly and you can take as long as you want to answer them. Are you up? For oh, that? I'm ready for it. <laughs> yeah. Are you are you it, two thumbs up for that? Two thumbs up. I am two thumbs up for it, man. Let's Boom. do it. Let's do it. All right. Question one. What superhero would you be and why? Yeah, I would actually say uh, Iron Man, mostly because he's a superhero, not because he has some sort of magic magic ability that made him amazing. <laughs> he's, um, because he's someone who sees a problem and he builds a solution to solve that problem. Nice. And he doesn't look at anything as like, oh, it's too powerful for me. He looks at things like, oh, how can I build a solution to solve this and battle against this? What's, what's one thing that people often incorrectly assume about you? I would say people incorrectly assume that I was always really outgoing and really sociable when in truth, I was actually a very shy kid growing up. So that was, uh, that was probably one of the biggest, uh, biggest things for me. What is the most pointless subject taught at schools and what would you replace it with? 
Um, I would say there, there's some classes, it, depending on where you go to school. Like, um, for example, we had, uh, we had a class called civics in high school, which was supposed to teach us how the government worked, but it was just a silly, ridiculous class. When probably one of the best classes they could teach people is a persuasion class, where they actually teach people how to not necessarily convince people, but how to better express their ideas to other people to uh, create the changes that they want. So I think that's something that's really missing from school that I'd love to see implemented. And what what would be uh, some of the fundamental principles taught in that class? Uh, I would say how to view things like a negotiation and how to try and make the best the best win for both people. Instead of seeing how can I get the most, sort of like that problem with the uh, the orange. Like two people want one orange, and you think the best way to split it is to cut it in half and give each person a half. But maybe one person wants just the peel for to make a cake, and the other person wants to eat the fruit of the orange. So if you can negotiate and you can talk about those different points you can potentially have a better solution for both people. Nice, I like that analogy. <clears throat> What's one random act of kindness you've either witnessed or done yourself? Uh, I would say, like, one thing that I do really <clears throat> love to do is uh, help out entrepreneurs. And uh, I've, I've, done this to, uh, I've done this to a few people. I, I'm not going to say I'm some sort of, you know, Gandhi like, with the acts <laughs> of kindness, but uh, I, I've had a few entrepreneurs who have reached out to me for help and... Uh, one of them, uh, around two years ago, one of them reached out to me through a friend and he was struggling with his agency and looking to uh, grow it. And I said, uh, hey, man, uh, you know, here's a little bit of advice for you. But how about you uh, drop everything you're doing in the States and come and live with me in Colombia in this uh, penthouse with me and uh, five of my friends and we'll help you out. And then this friend in particular, he ended up uh, he ended up <laughs> dropping everything he was doing in the States, moving out. I think he had to... Uh, he had to use a credit card to even like pay for the rent in the place in Colombia, and his agency quickly went from two k a month to ten k a month. Wow. And it was just uh, it was not some sort of coaching program. It was just I saw this guy who uh, could use a hand, and I decided to bring him out, and it worked out really well for him. And I I just love doing that, helping out other smart turned on entrepreneurs, and uh, seeing how high their business can go. That's amazing. What unusual or underrated food or drink should more people try out? Yeah, I am. There's one bit of food that I really miss from Thailand, and that's the, the pad siu. There's like there's pad thai, and then there's pad siu, which uses these big floppy flat noodles and chicken, and they have some sort of delicious Thai sauce that they put on it. I Whenever I think about my time in Thailand, I did a motorcycle trip for seven days and I ate this pretty much every single meal, mostly because I couldn't speak Thai and ask for anything different. But, uh, <laughs> but I would say if you're in Thailand, Pad Thai is great, but try the Pad Siu. It is fantastic. Wow. I'm going to definitely note, make a note of that one. What's one mistake you made in your life and what did you learn from it? Um, I would say... Uh, <laughs> I would say having, when I was a lot younger, having bad friends and realizing, uh, I realized how much damage having a really negative friend, a negative close friend around you can do compared to having an enemy. People don't really see that. Uh, they see maybe this person isn't a very good friend, but they keep them close. But I believe it does way more damage to have that negative person really close to you than, um, uh, than to even have them as an enemy. So 
just making uh, really being selective with your friends and choosing really great friends to surround yourself with are the, the keys, in my opinion, for uh, building a very happy life. Nice. What does the first 30 to 60 minutes of your day look like? And at what time does it start? Yeah, for me, I'm, I'm not a miracle morning, wake up early kind of person. Most like to be sprinting home at 10 p.m. at night trying to go to sleep. Um, but usually, usually my day starts around 7.30, uh, 8 o'clock. Uh, I start with around 10 minutes or so of meditation. Uh, I always journal and just kind of brain dump my feelings, my thoughts, um, and my plan for what I want to accomplish and do that day. And then I, uh, after that, I go into exercise. Uh, eat. Uh, I usually eat this mix of oatmeal and protein powder just to give me some carbs to start the day and fit my macros and then um, get to work. So it's probably meditate, journaling. Uh, hitting the gym and uh, a quick meal to start the day. That's not bad. That's most of the miracle morning. That's you know that's there's there's a good chunk in there um, of it. So uh, you know you're you're up there. Um, where do you go or what do you do to get inspired? Yeah, I would say one of the best things that you can do is, especially if you're feeling really stressed out in your life, you feel like uh, things aren't working out. You you're feeling overwhelmed. You need to get away into nature. Um, in Colombia, they have these things called fincas. They're basically cottages in the jungle. And I find if there's a big thing that you're trying to figure out in your life, it's uh, you need to go to that finca. You need to get away from your business or the problems that are you're facing and try and solve those in a um, and try and think about them and journal about them at least over the course of a weekend. And you'll be surprised what solutions you come up with, especially if you're there with a few other smart friends. And how those how is uh, finca spelled? As, uh, as expected, or uh, sorry, yeah, like F I N uh, F I N C A uh, finca, but it's just the Spanish word for basically. Ah. Who do you idolize above anyone else, and why? Uh, so I would say I actually idolize uh, Tim Ferriss, uh, but probably not the way most people do. I, I see him as someone who really put a lot of effort into helping out and inspiring many entrepreneurs. I mean, when you look at what he's doing right now, he's, he's not focused on trying to keep his brand alive and make the most money out of it and squeeze every last drop of it. He's more working on interesting projects and helping out the people that he wants to right now. And he's not in the limelight for it. He's not, he's still a well-known name, but he's not doing it because he wants a lot of people to see him. It seems like he's doing it because he found interesting projects that he actually enjoys working on. And that's what he's decided to dedicate his life to. So I, I really respect him for that, both for the initial help and inspiration he gave me and for where he's taking his life now. Absolutely. I, I, I echo that. And yeah, the guy, um, he's very, um, uh, like he, he has rules that he lives his life by. And I don't mean um, rigid because it's not, it's not a bad thing, but actually um, he's he's quite selective, and and the things that he selects, like like you said, the things that he enjoys that that tick a lot of boxes, um, that he can add value to that <clears throat> he enjoys that that maintain his lifestyle. So it's, it's yeah, like you said, it's really impressive. And then if he wants to just you know randomly launch a best selling book, he's got all everything he needs, all the network and yeah. connections and influence to do that. <laughs> and he can go right back yeah. in his hole for another hey. six months. Yeah. So um, yeah, I love that. Uh, <laughs> absolutely um 
What book do you read or gift the most? Uh, there's actually two. Um, I would say uh, I used to gift the four-hour work week a lot, just, you know, of course, like most digital entrepreneurs. Uh, but there's also a really powerful book that I recommend a lot of people reading. And it's called uh, What You Say When You Talk to Yourself. And it's actually about um, positive self-talk and about realizing these negative um, negative thought patterns that come up in your life. For example, if you're if you're trying to accomplish something and your mind is telling you that, oh, you can't do this, you can't accomplish this, like you're terrible at this, just uh, imagine that how demoralizing that would be if that was a real person, like sitting, standing next to you and yelling that at you, except it's more demoralizing because it's your own mind not believing in yourself. So mm. that's one of the most powerful books I can recommend. Nice. What silly thing should people do more of? Uh, I would say, I mean, it's not super silly, but I would say just trying to talk and uh, engage with strangers. If you're um, like a lot of people are really shy and not really outgoing, like I used to be when I was younger. But, uh, you know, if you're if you're at a bar or you're at a party or uh, just trying to jump in and try and make some fun conversation with someone that you've never met before, never talked to. And you'd be surprised how, how much your life can change from just a fun conversation or joke with someone random. So just uh, being okay to be silly, be a little awkward and just jump into conversation and meet new people like that. That's uh, I would say that's the most silly thing people should do. Nice. If you could change one world problem with one wish, what would it be? Um, I would say this might be kind of a strange answer. Uh, I would say personal uh if I could snap my fingers and change one thing, I would say uh, the thing I would want to change is getting everyone to really think in a personal responsibility type of philosophy, because I believe that would solve a lot more problems in the world uh, than uh, than most other things, where people would think that they have to take personal responsibility for their problems in their life, as well as personal responsibility for the changes that they can make, instead of thinking that, oh, it's society stopping them, it's culture stopping them it's their parents it's this rule or that it's just being able to actually look at their situation and say okay what can i change and what can i put in work to changing this i think people would be a lot happier and the world would be a um even more amazing place than it already is nice powerful that would you rather always be 10 minutes late or always be 20 minutes early I think definitely 20 minutes early. I would actually, I'm going to listen to uh, more of these podcasts after and hear who says 10 minutes late. <laughs> because that's, uh, <laughs> we have had a couple of people yeah. say 10 minutes late. Assholes. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, um, but uh, no, genuinely, like um, we have had that, that answer a few times, but I think more often it is uh, 20 minutes early. I think it's just, you know, it's, it's 20 minutes early. That's quite a long time. That's not like, Oh, you're five minutes early. That's easy. You know, it's you're 20 minutes early always. Um, so I think it's value of time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, yeah, when I look at 20 minutes early, I can definitely get myself interested with something to do in that 20 minutes before whatever it starts or be better prepared. But definitely 20 minutes are, are my philosophy. Nice. And I feel like I might know the answer to this one, but would you rather move to a new city or town every week or never be able to leave the city or town you were born in? Oh, stay in Toronto my whole life. Of course. <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely not. I'd, I'd love, uh, I'm a very exploratory person. I do like to settle down in places for usually three months or more to really get to know the city and the culture of the people. 
but yeah, if I had to choose, I would definitely be traveling to different uh, cities, different cultures, learning new things and continuing to explore the world. Nice. And then final question, Ryan, what makes you happiest? I would definitely say motorcycle adventures with some of my best friends in the world. That's uh, those trips that I've taken where every single day you're on some sort of trail, you're out in the middle of nowhere, you've got a flat tire, the sun's going down, you're not sure if there's tigers in the jungle, <laughs> you have to get yourself out of that situation. Usually they're pretty difficult um, when you're facing it, but the stories that you tell afterwards on those types of uh, trips are the things that make me the happiest in the world. And just being on that, uh, I, I love those. Amazing. Well, Ryan, um, that pretty much brings us to the end of the podcast. Um, and you've been phenomenal. Um, but before I get into that a little bit more, um, have you got any asks or requests of the audience? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, uh, don't really have any social uh, media to follow. Um, I email all stars. There would actually probably one of the biggest things that the audience could do is just um just email email all-stars like your biggest email marketing question you can send it to easywin at emailallstars.com and uh yeah i just love to learn about what uh, other e-com store owners are facing and try and see how i can better answer those questions and solve more problems for people so that or just go and check out my website emailallstars.com if you want a strategy call book it if you want to just take a look at our bobblehead team photo go for it too it's all good for me sounds good well ryan thank you so much for taking the time today to to share your your story your um your colorful travels um and um giving the giving value and and not least with the the strange email flows um and the out of the box <laughs> thinking there um thank you for uh, for giving value today and uh, sharing your time with us yeah, Martin, it's been a pleasure. I've had a lot of fun on this podcast. This is has been a wild ride from start to finish. And thank you so much for inviting me on. Hey there, you incredibly good-looking human. Thanks so much for listening. If you had a good time today and would like more good times in the future, please hit that subscribe button and leave a heartwarming review. I read them all and it will go a long way to help others out there benefit from all the teachings of this show. Don't forget, we release two interviews per week, plus a shorter, actionable and tactical show in between. And if you want to get in touch or otherwise learn more about me, head to martincook.co.uk or smarterdestiny.com. I really appreciate you. You're an incredible human. Until next time, keep crushing.